I'm your host, Laura Mignot. This is one of my amazing 29 Days of Magic podcasts, where every day of Black History Month, I interview a really dope Black woman. And today, I am so excited to have Lola Bakery, who is an author and CMO advisor. She has a phenomenal career, and it's going to be a great conversation. So take a listen. Hey, Lola. Hi, Laura. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to have you on the show um, and be part of 29 Days of Magic. So, so great to have you. I mean, magic. And that's one of my, the huge, that's one of the uh, key key parts of my platform. So feels like such a great fit. <laughs> the perfect fit. So I know you've listened to the podcast. So you know that the first question is always the same. Um, and I, I'm very curious to hear what your answer is going to be. So Lola, what was your first job? Oh, you're going to love this one. Well, okay. I'm going to give you my first job post-undergrad. Whichever you want. It can be in high school. It can be school. It can be undergrad. Whatever you want. I'll, I'll be a Gemini and I'll, and I'll go for two then. Because the, the first first one I think is interesting. My okay. first job was a summer job at a bagel shop in my hometown of Harrisburg, PA. Um, you know, working behind the counter, that sort of thing. Being raised in a Nigerian family, uh, my dad thought I should be studying over the summer. He really didn't understand why I wanted to have a job, but I just had this romantic idea in my head of a summer job um, until they asked me to clean the bathroom. And that was kind of when the interest in in, in doing that sort of work faded away. So, um, yeah, I, I was more interested in the romantic ideal than what actually has to happen on the front lines. So we'll, we'll put a pin in that because that probably goes back to some of the things we could talk about um, in the in the grown up career part of my life. So fast forward after graduating from University of Pennsylvania, um, where I was an English major, I went to go work um, at PepsiCo QTG in Chicago as a marketing associate on the Gatorade brand. Pretty much the coolest first job yeah, possible, ever. imaginable. And um, a really lucky moment because I didn't study a lick of marketing in college. They hired me based on, I think, personality fit and potential. And um, I had a wonderful experience there. Wow. Okay. So you just strolled into Pepsi. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, sometimes you find yourself in the right place at the right time. And, and I, I, I credit a lot of my experiences to that but then being ready to take advantage advantage of it. So I had a friend, my, my friend Alpha, if she's listening to this, she was a history major, I was English. And in the fall of senior year, she said to me, you know, what are we gonna do next year? We need jobs. Like, are you doing any on-campus recruiting? And I wasn't even in that headspace or in that vibe, <laughs> the Wharton students going to all their interviews and wearing their suits and all of that. But she told me that there were cocktail parties where you got to meet um, the people who were coming to recruit. So that was kind of what piqued my interest. And one of the first ones I went to was the PepsiCo QTG presentation. At that time, I'm not sure if they still do, they recruited a few undergrads to train with the MBA class from, at that time, it was Dartmouth and Penn. And so right place, right time. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not something that the Wharton marketing students who'd been studying for four years and would have really loved to have a marketing job Probably not something they were thrilled about that I grabbed the one slot available, but in a sort of survivor-like interview process, I ended up um, being the one that got the offer. And it was it was a great honor. And wow, I got to train with some people who are 
even today doing amazing things like Morgan Flatley, for example, she was a marketing manager at that time when I was there as an associate. Now she's CMO globally of McDonald's. Um, Kenny Mitchell, CMO of Snap, he actually wrote my um, business school uh, recommendations. That's sort of how close we were at that time. And um, it was just the most amazing formative experience as a marketer, but those sort of name dropping things aside, the crux of what makes working at Pepsi so special is that nowhere else trains you so sort of systematically. It's such a part of the process to have these formal class style training, um, you know, training um, sort of modules and approaches as you're doing your job. And then they let you do the work from day one. I was in front of rooms that no 22-year-old who studied English and didn't know anything about marketing probably should have been presenting and learning how to do it on the job, on the fly, you know, without any sort of, um, you know, dress rehearsal. It was, we hired you because you're smart and now you're going to do this and we're going to help you get better at it, but we're not going to wait till you're ready to put you on stage. And that was everything. Wow. That's incredible. And it's it's the kind of it's also the fact that like, yeah, those folks might have been studying marketing, but they, they didn't have what you had, which was a degree of awesomeness that folks could see as potential even at that moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, and thank you for saying that. But it, it's true. The, the other part of it was just an obsession with pop culture that, yep. that I, I probably discount how much that had to do with it. Um, I just I've always been someone who reads, watches and listens to everything. Um, and it's curious about what goes on behind said things. So I think that curiosity and engagement and what's going on um, in the world from a pop culture standpoint was was part of the appeal. Uh, well, and I think you need to get engaged in what's going on. Well, it's what we were saying earlier about like you have to be aware of what's, what's going on. Be aware of what's around you right now. Like you can't pretend like you can only look at spreadsheets. You have to actually be like, okay, what is going on these days? What is non-talk? Like, what? Why is X Y Z so much more interesting right now? Why does Dapper Dan have a collaboration with Puma? Like that mm. stuff you should be paying attention to. Yes. What um, was it you said before um, about uh, stats aren't? What was that? Oh, I can't remember now. Um, Awesome about, like, you know, stats can't, you know, something about around the lines of like stats aren't, um, stats aren't the only thing. Like, yeah, they, they are one of the things, but they're not the only thing. And I think if you continue to only look at that as, as your measurement, you'll never actually be able to tap into culture effectively. And I think if you from day one, I think similar in my success, it's just like we've I've been paying attention. Like, like, what is interesting? What is cool? What's been happening? And you don't have to put an age gate on that. Like, you know, let's let's talk about your 29 days of magic with black women. One of my hypotheses, I haven't done the academic research to prove it out, but I do truly believe that because we've had to walk through the world adapting to our surroundings constantly, especially anybody who grew up in an environment that wasn't predominantly black or it wasn't always predominantly black, you are you are forced to a state of hyper awareness just for your comfort and sometimes physical safety for me, emotional safety. You're constantly 
looking around and trying to modulate your behavior to make sure you can, um, quite frankly, at growing up, fit in where you yeah. were. And as taxing as that is, it also builds a muscle and a skill set that makes for a very effective and astute marketer. Yeah, because you would actually understand the world that you're looking in without without your own views or prejudices affecting it. Like you exactly. are, you sort of are inside, but you're outside. Yes. And, and I think that's a fascinating way. To, that's a really fascinating way to look at it. It allows you a different right. way to look at the world. Absolutely. I mean, I wrote something in, in an ad week piece that came out today about cultural liter- literacy and ad education. Um, and one of the lines that I recall is so relevant to this it's that we have a skill of being able to decenter our lived experience in terms of how we view any particular situation. And, and if you can't do that, you can't be a great marketer. But a lot of people think that that's what they're doing when they're not. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, I think you're right. Um, I think it, it is so much like you can, you can walk into the room and either not be the center of attention or not. If you want to be the person who's just the observer, like oftentimes I am the observer, and figure out what the state of play is, and then you know adapt to that particular moment, and then keep it moving. And I think, as from a marketing standpoint, like being able to be, a, a, you know, the fierce urgency of now is real. And mm. I think the folks who have been able to last a very long time in our industry have always been going one, two, three, four more times ahead. Like they get it. Um, and whether they're, you know, 25 or they're 55, like how come all these sort of older folks are still killing kill game and advertising? Because they never stop paying attention to the world around exactly. them. It doesn't mean they have to be at a club exactly. where all the Gen Z folks are. But you know what? They might talk to their Gen Z daughter or son exactly. and be like, hey, what's what's going on here? Like what would be what would you guys want to see in here? And I think it's a it's also the ability to like want to hear from other perspectives as opposed to dropping your perspective on every single thing. When we do that, yes, 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 yes. yes. Like that makes you a better marketer every day of the week. Um, what you, you can't just assume that like oh because I I look at all these stats and that's gonna be the way it has to be. Like trust me, it don't. Well, you won't find your strategy in a spreadsheet, that's for sure. No, you won't. Like it's you might find something to inform it. You might find something to sell it in, but uh, you're not going to find it. So. You won't. So you have this amazing job at Pepsi, yes. and now you're here as an amazing CMO advisor and author. So what was that journey like from those early days of Pepsi till now? Oh, I mean, it was it was such an interesting one because. Um, like many Geminis, I've never been one to have a linear or predictable path. So the 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 surprise of going into marketing to begin with, that was just the first of many surprises. Um, I, I, like I mentioned, I decided to go back to business school because I did want that sort of more foundational business grounding. But also I wanted a couple of years to really think about where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And at that time, I had this vision of doing what I did for CPG, which was so much fun. But like, what if I could do that in an industry where the product is something I myself as a consumer am crazy passionate about? You know, like I think Gatorade's amazing and I can get excited about marketing it, but I love books and I love media. So what would it look like to be a marketer in that world? 
And so that was why I chose Stern for the media entertainment program. Um, when I left there, I did the thing that often happens instead of waiting for the, the, you know, probably lower paying and harder to get job at Penguin Random House or whatever it would be that fit with my exact vision. I convinced myself that going into tech was kind of similar to entertainment because people <laughs> access entertainment through their devices. We're oh, all yeah. Here, right. I marketed that to myself and I went to Dell and did their MBA, um, you know, rotational program down in Austin, Texas. I also saw a lot of appeal to moving there. Um, so I'm, I'm one of those people who kind of loves to move around and live in different. Love Austin. Austin's awesome. So I had a great experience at Dell. But then the opportunity to finally do marketing in the world of media and publishing did surface. So there's a small new startup in Austin called The Daily Dot. I was hired there to be their first um, director of marketing, hire a couple of people under me, audience acquisition, um, a, a data analysis and strategist. And our job was to grow readership for the Daily Doc and um, grow awareness for the B2B brand. So that was hugely impactful learning experience on so many levels that we can talk about. Um, what ended up making me decide to leave and go independent was the realization, and, and unfortunately it's one that so many women and black women and black men, basically everybody who's not a white man, cisgender white male, um, has is that when you're in an environment where there's not a value alignment, where there isn't value alignment and where there isn't um, a shared empathy, for people who ha are from historically excluded backgrounds, no matter how great everything else is, it's really hard to feel grounded in, you know, just almost sort of the, um, how do I even put it? It's hard to feel um, grounded in the security of the environment that you're in. It's hard to feel safe, quite frankly. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and so I needed to remove myself from a situation where I didn't feel safe. And I did. And I, I never looked back. Um, I learned so much that allowed me to become an independent consultant. And I can't even believe it, but it's been seven years and counting since I've been in house. And I've just had some of the most amazing experiences from day one. Um, and a lot of my clients I can't talk about because they're very private. But one of the things I, I remind people who are going out on that journey of becoming a service-based entrepreneur independently is the way you get your foot in the door is who you've worked with before. So that's always been my entire strategy. It's like, go help the people who you work with at whatever other place, and we'll see what comes from there. So that led to this world where, and I guess rewinding a little bit, Laura, I did a chief of staff role at Dell um, for an amazing woman named Lauren Kelly, who actually also grew up at Pepsi. We knew each other there, didn't work together. Um, but in that chief of staff role, that's where I kind of started to realize, wait a minute, I'm really good at this sort of like whisper role. Mm -hmm. like, no, here's what we should do. Okay, like you're going to go in the meeting. Here are the bullet points. Oh, that person's not able to like figure out the thing. I'll go work with them. So I helped her um, as her right hand in that role when she was leading the commercial strategy organization um, at Dell from a B2B standpoint. And that was the beginning of thinking of, of figuring out how I could take that just maybe innate passion or innate talent in advising 
um, in sort of being that, whether it's a coach or a thought partner um, to senior level marketing executives, it became the thing that um, I didn't have to raise my hand for. People came to me. And that just continues to to sort of mushroom and from the to the you know to this day. And it's it's really exciting. Fantastic. I love it. And I mean, there's so many lessons in there. It's like one, being in the room. It's two, you know, making sure that you become indispensable. Three, mm. the quality of becoming a whisperer. But at the end of the day, a whisperer is just an attentive listener. Like Absolutely. You, you learn you hear what folks are saying and what folks are not saying. And then you sympathize. Yes. And I and this is when you're surrounded by the right leaders and mentors, um, and I'm really grateful for this, but I figured out that superpower because people told me I had it before I even knew. Lauren was the biggest influence along those lines. But there were others. I'll never forget Farrah Howard was at Dell when I was there. I don't even remember her exact role, but she was like one of the bosses, you know. Um, she's at GoDaddy now, CMO. And once when we were rotating roles, she said to me, Lola, you're so smart, but we just don't know where to put you. And at the time, that was a really hard thing to hear. Um, but but what I take away from it now is that it's because the, that job didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I had to create it. And so now I have. Well, that's the thing I think is really important that I know I say this to a lot of good friends of mine right now who are kind of in similar modes, like, okay, what is the thing I need to do next? And I'm like, create your own job because you can do that while you're still a full time employee. You can 100 percent do that while you're a full time employee. Like it's it's something like, no, don't check a check for no check. Um, But (laughs) I think it's so important that folks realize that you can craft and create the job that you actually want to do. Because when you actually do, then you're actually happier. Like it it fills you up in a different way. You get more excited to do that work. You love the new challenge, but Mm -hmm. helping, but figuring out what that next job is, is takes the time to sort of take a step back and remember, I always say to folks, what are you awesome at? What do people tell you you're awesome at? Mm -hmm. Those are your superpowers. Yes. And if you really I would add a certain thing that, Laura. I would say what what actually energizes you to do? What what do you do? Mm-hmm. Cuz you can be awesome in a thing and it can drain you. I'll give you my example and that's copywriting. I'm not a trained copywriter, but I'm pretty good at it and I can be the one that does the copy in a situation where there isn't a copywriter available. In the beginning of my consulting career, that got leaned into cuz it is really hard to find good writers. But what I realized, you know, after just kind of sucking it up and saying yes to those types of projects more than I probably should have, is that, wow, a writing project will drain me. A messaging project, strategy, sort of the internal piece, the briefing, the, you know, the creative, great. But when I try to do both sides, it does not feel energizing. So even though I can do it, I probably shouldn't. And and I, I like to encourage people to think about it's almost like which of your superpowers is scalable. Yeah, you know what I always I always sort of preface those two questions by saying, what makes you happy to get out of bed every morning? Mm. Like what once you want to run to your laptop and open it? Absolutely. Because 
And so once you say that, then it's like, okay, what are you really awesome at? Because if those two pieces come together. Because mm. um, if you are not excited about that, then you're you in in actuality, you're really good at it. You're not awesome. Yes. And folks know and folks know you're awesome at that thing because not only do you deliver that thing, you deliver it with joy. Yes. That's why that's why I always say awesome, not great. It's like the I. I deliberately built that questionnaire whenever I do a workshop around those around that language because when I say awesome, what do you do? You automatically smile. You're not like, oh, I'm really good at like, oh, because I can focus in on like, because what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to get at for folks is that like the stuff that makes you smile, the stuff that gives you energy, that's what you're awesome at. You can be great at like doing that killer copy. When it, you're not going to become awesome at that. You're never going to say you're never going to say you're an awesome copywriter. And then I'm a good copywriter. Yeah. Um, but I, when I, I say I what's awesome, great. yeah, I really do. And I think it's part of why you know if we look at the unique experience of the call it um, I don't even know how you would classify it. There are a lot of professional black women there are different ways you can be a professional black woman. There's the experience that someone has in a shift job. And by the way, we don't talk about how we can advocate for that side of the workforce more because they really need our help. Um, But then there's the sort of, you know, executive experience of a black woman. And I think sometimes the challenge of being able to do so many things well um, can be a curse. And why are we able to do so many things well? Well, it's because we've always kind of had to to be noticed at all. And so I think it's even harder for, for us sometimes to recognize the superpower because we're used to just figuring out how to do whatever it is that needs to be done. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, um, I think it really is that like, what needs to get done because you know black if you give it to black woman it'll get done versus like all right you know what I got this let's roll yeah. uh, big big difference so I think for you so along the way what do you think was a challenge you had along the way you were like there's no way I'm getting through this and then you did ooh that's such a good question hmm gosh there's so many <laughs> well. <laughs> If we go back to um, my experience, you know, at the startup I mentioned, there there was a a very emotionally taxing lack of alignment, um, you know, between myself and and a and a peer. Um, it was the whole sort of marketing PR lead thing. It can be tricky to begin with, but it's even trickier when I'm just going to say, frankly, work ethic. Um, sort of different values. Yeah. I love how you're being. I love how you're being so 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 tactful. Diplomatic, you know. But like, yeah. I mean, when for me, the way I was raised in the jobs that I did, if if it's Friday night and one of our reporters is asked to go on, um, you know, MSNBC and they need some um, help, sort of prepping, like you got to take the call. But but. I'm in a world now where it's sort of like you need to respect my boundaries no matter what. And I get that. But at the end of the day, it's like we got to get this done. So I, I it, it, it turned into a very challenging um, 
struggle of will slash um, emotion being leveraged as a weapon. We talk about the um, you know white women tears thing a lot. That that happened a lot in that situation where the dynamic became Lola, keep doing the work because we need you to do it, but figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't upset her. Because we don't want to hear her coming to us crying, so you need to not make her cry. It's not it's not the right thing needs to happen. It's we need to make sure she's okay so that no one is bothered by these outbursts. And that was I it was that was a very difficult one to get through because to that point, I'd always I guess been lucky to have experiences where it at, at some level it is about a meritocracy. If you do the best work, you are rewarded and everybody's happy. Not so in this situation. In fact, the inverse could be true. If you do too much of the best work, you're gonna upset someone who is sensitive about it because before they were doing whatever they wanted and then they hired you. Well, then we have to ask ourselves, well, why did you hire me? Oh, you hired me because this thing wasn't working out and you didn't want to deal with it. So that that navigating the dynamics of an underperforming peer who um, blames you for how unhappy they are in their job because you're doing well in yours. That I couldn't have anticipated that. I didn't have the tools to deal with it. You know, I think I was 29 at the time. Um, I was also the only black woman the youngest and the only person with an MBA on the entire executive team. And it, it got to a place where I felt very isolated. You know, that place where whenever you're with your friends, it's the only thing you complain about. They get tired of hearing about it. Um, yeah. And, and it, gets, it gets pretty dark. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one moment where I was disinvited from, from, a, from the board meetings because I said something that, um, you know, the, the owner didn't agree with. And so it's sort of like the head of marketing is the only head of department that's not invited to board meetings. So that so that was the level of now how did I get out of it? I took myself out of it. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a situation where I started getting calls for advice, and those turned into offers to consult. So when I left, I already had made up my income that I was you know making there and then some, and there went into engagement that I'm still with an anchor client that I'm still with to this day. So it was a lucky exit, but it, you know, moral of the story is there are times when the only way out is to leave. So leave. I love that. And thank you for saying that. Been there, did the exact same thing. <laughs> um, because there's nothing you can do. There really isn't. And that's so, so for what I wish I would have known is that. I thought, well, if I just succeed even more, if right. I grow our traffic even more, if I get our ad spend down um, for bigger results even more, then I'll just say it. Let's be honest. They'll like me. Mm-hmm. No, they and, won't. Well, there's a, a really great um, TikTok I saw yesterday. And it was about um, this exact thing, and it was a, it was all about white women's internalized racism, and like they didn't, and it was how like she didn't realize that she had internalized racism until she actually did the work, because she couldn't understand why her coworker was just doing way better than her, always had you know better no better results, better better kudos, like just killing the game better, 
And she couldn't put her finger on as to why that upset her. Because she's like, they were friendly. The girl hadn't done anything to her. It was it was it was not personally affecting her. Her success was not personally affecting her detrimentally. But she was like, oh yeah, no. But deep down, it pissed me off that she was doing better than me. That's that's the long and short of it, right there. And that's what it was. And it was the first time I've ever actually seen someone who's white actually articulate that because I think every black woman in business has has come across somebody just like that I don't care what industry you're in you have met someone who just is so annoyed by your success literally your success your existence in your your existence I mean if you want to be really pop you know pop culture moment this is the Mega Marco you know Oh, absolutely. Um, this is literally what it is. Like, I, she didn't do nothing to you, girl, but she mm. got her own job. She got her own money. She got her man. But she's not doing anything to you. Deeper than that, because like we talked about, I'm a pop culture fan. So, of course, I've listened to, to Spare in its entirety and even repeated Same. it after. Oh, my God. Laura, we're, I'm, like, can we actually be friends now? Not just Twitter. Yes, we, we can tell you friends. Of course. <laughs> Um, okay, so you're with me on this. Let's let's get into it. The effect of you're doing too well, and I don't like that. That started in the dynamic between Prince Charles, um, Camilla, mm-hmm. and, and Diana. I like that, Her- that she and Harry were getting such great press. <gasps> so they had to change it. They had to change it. They had to change it. But it was right there is it's an it's so it's it's interesting how it's so clearly articulated in this book and in and and what we're seeing with our eyes right now online. But it it is in every you see that in so many places like you're just not a good fit. I don't know what it is about you, but I just don't think you're a good fit. Like we've all heard that. And that and, was decided, you know, day one, the, the, the person I was working for at this company. Down to the fact that um, my mentor, who I mentioned, Lauren, who gave my referral when I was starting the job, what she didn't tell me, but then told me later after I decided to leave, because I was so excited. She didn't want to burst my bubble, I'm sure, was that he asked her, well, she's great, but how do you get her to tone it down? And, And like that is a very telling question. Well, yeah, it's like you have too much energy or you smile too much or you seem too happy. I mean, there's I, I've heard them making all. A fuss. Well, you're always making a fuss. Like, Stop why is it always about this? Like, oh, you know, <laughs> and, and I and I, but you've seen it and the, the coded language. And I said, again, I, I really appreciate I, I kind of almost want someone to like stick that. I could kind of like the no Martin Luther the thesis where they stick it on the wall. So everyone can see it. Like, I feel like that TikTok should really be taught in schools that aren't in Florida because apparently you can't teach about racism there anymore. Um, but like that is something that if folk, more folks just acknowledge, we'd be a lot a long way off. Tag me. <laughs> because like that's the thing I feel like is so necessary for folks to understand that like. Because I can't tell you, I'm sure you have a so similar, you have lots of girlfriends who just be like, I don't know what it is, but this mediocre blah, blah, blah is just dry, 
up a wall about my sheer existence. Yeah. Oh, I mean, one of the one of the quotes and, and I'll, I'll say the quote because I, you know, I'm not going to name the individual, but it was um, one of the complaints about me was because of Lola's intensity. Like, so essentially because of how much I am into the work, which I think is the goal, um, I'm having to see my therapist more often. Oh so my God. My intensity had a negative impact on her, on her mental health, which is totally fine. The only line crosses, that's not anything for me to do anything about. And also your therapist would have told you that, darling. Well, depends. There's on that. that. There's but, that. <laughs> Right. You know, I mean, real. If you were really going ridiculous. to therapy, can you imagine one of us making that complaint to a CEO? That, that's I, I, I would have honestly, I would have found a way to fire you on the spot if you brought that to my attention. I'm like, you know what? Bye. And then, but what? But, but what actually happened was, I was sat down and told that I needed to figure out how to how to make her more comfortable. Yeah. Oh, I had the same conversation with someone. Yeah. So. I, many, many years ago when I worked for um, a smaller boutique agency, I had a similar conversation. I was like, what is it about me that she doesn't like? Oh, I can't really tell you. I was like, well, then how am I ever going to like figure out a way to work with her if you don't tell me? I'm not a mind reader. <laughs> like, I, I think I made a little good joke. Like, I'm not Miss Cleo. Like, I don't know if there is something that I have done, if I have said something to her that maybe came off in the wrong way. I apologize for it, but I kind of need to know what that is. Mm-hmm. Like, it, oh, it's it's just like, maybe you're just not a fit with her. And I'm like, that's not an excuse. And can you imagine talking about two humans that way? Like, it's like, the, the, who, the, who, who has to be a fit with whom? It's like, we're not that's dating. Not <laughs> I work with you. Like, we're not, it's like, if you're not a fit, it's like, we're in a relationship. And okay, cool. Like, we're no longer going to be in a relationship. Cool. But we're work colleagues. Yeah, like that's the job is to figure out how to fit. Yeah, like, you know. And the only one's always doing that. Yeah, but we're always the ones who are the one, have to sort of find a way to sort of shrink ourselves into the tiniest possible bubble so that someone out for somebody else's comfort. I'll give, um, you more, I'll give you one more example, Laura, on this that I think everyone listening will just get. And and maybe even those who, if anyone's listening who's not convinced that what we're talking about is true, that that there have been situations in every, I hate the term person of color, but I want to be um, in- inclusive here of not just the Black experience. I would say every um, historically excluded experience, Not they're not the same, but they have this through line. People will actually do things out of their self-interest in order to exclude us. So a, a, a perfect example of that was when I was able to get um, you know, that company a meeting with the team at Gatorade for an ad sales pitch, you know, we're a publication, that's how you keep the lights on. And wouldn't it make sense for me to go? They didn't take me up to the meeting in Chicago. Why would they do that? No, of course not. It's like, you don't even want the money. If I helped you get it. Wow. Oh, I, I have seen so many things along in with friends, um, with my own personal experiences, um, where I'm just like, do you realize how remarkably short-sighted you are? Because this will cost you a lot of money for not doing the simplest thing here. 
All because you want to make somebody else feel comfy or have them get the win. Yeah. Like that one needs a win. So. Or you yeah. want to humble somebody. Like, You're not well, the idea of humbling someone is just so atrocious. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I'm sorry, what? No. You know, as I said, you know, I think folks, you know, I, I was on a panel recently and I was talking about like all of the challenges you have when you are a leader and what it means to sort of not impart your trauma upon the next generation. Mm. And and so you were extra mindful about how you approach situations so that um, you don't um, so that you don't make those same mistakes. And I, you know, and I thought to myself, how many of those folks who are. Uh, can actually understand that that's what the work you actually have to do. Like you actually have to be like, mm, yeah, this is this is insanity. Um, but yeah, so no, I I'm glad we um delved into some of that tough stuff because the goal is for whoever is in that situation right now, hopefully who's listening to know that you're not alone and it's not you. It's not um, you. It's you know, so not you. But there, there, I think you and I both being successful and thriving are shining examples that you can get through it. Um, yeah, and that there is always better on the other side. Right. Um, exactly. But it's, like, but it's also not solved by ourselves. It's mentors. It's coaches. It's therapy if necessary. It, it, yeah, it, exactly. it takes that you have to take those steps. Because that is a lot to deal with. And that systematic breaking you down can be heartbreaking and troublesome. Uh, and you have to be able to like be able to reach out to folks to hopefully help you so that you're in a you're in a good place. Absolutely. It's traumatic. For me, Laura, the key, one of the keys to building back up literally the entire list you mentioned, those things were all involved. Um in in getting to that point of what I'm what I'm going to go ahead and call self-actualization, even throughout my um, journey as an, as an independent consultant, there there were phases of that, um, like like I talked about making sure I'm working on the right projects, that sort of thing. But then the, the kicker for me, it all came full circle was creativity and having an outlet, writing, exactly. speaking and having my own voice. For me, that is a self-care mechanism. So I love how you just segued into my next commercial. <laughs> um, so since you just said that, Lola, what is it you actually do for your self-care? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I've never thought about it this way, but I, I, I would break it down by intellectual and physical. Um, mm-hmm. And my intellectual self-care is absolutely expression. It's it's funny. I don't know if you remember that Jackson Five movie, um, but there's this one scene where Michael is talking to his mother, and he's kind of distressed, distraught, and he's like, maybe he's having a a a moment where he's not sure what to do next, and he says, "I've got so many songs in my head, and I can't get them out." Like that. I I remember this. It just right. It stands out. And for years, that's where I was like, like, I need to be, but I don't know where to, how to. And I, but like, I can't be okay unless I'm expressing. Um, And so having gotten to the other side of that and found a platform that works for me, 
it's primarily LinkedIn, but then a lot of it is writing, doing things like this, like that lights me up. Um, and so intellectually, that's huge. The other part, um, morning pages, a lot of people do this, that practice. I'm not religious about it as much as I probably should, but when I do um, get into a groove of doing morning pages every day, which if you're not familiar is writing three freehand stream of consciousness pages in your journal the minute you wake up. Oh, wow. Um, the minute wow. you wake up. You never heard of this? Oh my wow. gosh, you gotta read The Artist's Way. Oh, the Artist's okay. Way by Julia Cameron. It's it's groundbreaking, it's, it's game changing. And, and it's the day that you'll have after having done that, you wouldn't believe it. Um, so that's that's a huge one, that's a huge tool. Even working on the book I'm working on now, like the days that I get the most writing done are the days that I did morning pages. Funny enough, more writing. But more also writing actually, so you're better writing. writing. Mm-hmm. Pardon me? More more writing um, yields better writing. Exactly. And I think that's true, too. So just being in that place of not being blocked it's in, in, in terms of expression is huge. And then from a physical standpoint, you know, it's. How do I put this? Um, being pampered. <laughs> I love to get my nails done. I love to get massages. You know what I mean? Like all of those things that um, are indulgence. I should probably be more habitual about my exercise, but when I am, I know that clarifies my mind as well. 20 minutes on the elliptical will, you know, you'll feel like you got your brain massaged, you know, not even to talk of like the benefits to the body. So there's the, there's the sort of, um, movement aspect of it that's the the sort of task of self-care and then there's also the sort of allowing yourself to um be catered to to be you know um allowing yourself allowing yourself to not be the one doing I think that that's a lot of the appeal of things like you know getting your pedicure getting your massage or whatever it is um, yeah, so I, 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 I you ask of somebody else doing that for you. It's funny, like when during the pandemic, obviously I could not get my manicures or pedicures, and I got like the really nice kits to kind of do it at home. I got like the chill house nails, which was like the stickable manicures. And after like doing it like two or three times, I was like, yeah. No, I actually not- like the whole act of like going to get my nails done, like sitting for an hour and like just chilling out. And it not mean me doing the work. Mm-hmm. Like it means so much to not do the work. Yep, 100%. It's, like, it's, it's so important. Well, and it's why I, I, it's why, and I, you know, I live alone, um, but I still have a housekeeper who mm-hmm. comes in whenever I want a, a thorough, deep cleaning. And maybe that's once every two weeks, maybe it's once a week if I'm really busy, you know? So, Getting people to help and not feeling ashamed of that is also a huge self-care mechanism um, for me. And I I want that for more Black women, especially. I think sometimes we have a hard time saying yes to that sort of thing, but we deserve it. So why not? Um, Let it go. Like, I think that sometimes there's this this makeup and like, oh, well, why would I have to get a housekeeper? Like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, because you want to get a housekeeper. That's it. There is no why. Is, are you busy? And do you have time to do your cleaning? Would it make your life easier if you didn't have to worry about that one thing on your list? Then do it. Yep. Figure out how to make it work. And like I always say, it's always good to stimulate the economy by giving other people work to do that you're paying for. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Um, I want to mention, because I, I, if you follow me on social media, you you probably realize I talk a lot about whatever show I'm watching or book I'm reading. And that's another key too. Um, So for me, watching whatever it is on Netflix or wherever, you know, listening to my Audible, um, you know, listening to that podcast, whatever it is, that those those are really important self-care activities for me that also double as, um, quite frankly, beneficial towards the work that we do as marketers. So I feel really blessed to be in a place where the things I like to do also make me better at what I do for work. Um, they absolutely do. That's, that's, I don't know how it gets any better than that. I can't imagine a life where the thing you do for work is something you don't want to think about anymore when you leave. I just, I, I don't even know what that would be like. You know, I think that's such a great, great point. And wow, I mean, there's so many great points. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> no, it is, it's exactly why you're here, my darling. Um, but there's so much there. And I think folks um, would be, be wise to take your excellent and, and sage advice, especially about like knowing, again, vegging out and watching Netflix actually comes in handy. If for no other reason, guess how you ice for a conversation. Have you watched Kaleidoscope? Uh, have you watched Wednesday? By the way, have you? Because it was so good. <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I've seen Glass Onion like five times at this point. Um, okay, I have, I've been on the fence. And it's, I'm like, I don't know if I'd like this. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, we'll talk about I'll, it. I'll give you a reason why you should like it. Um, just my opinion, of course. Um, last question for you. Um, do you have a give and or ask of the audience? Oh, do I have an ask? But first, I'm going to go with the give. Um, I am always available. I'm going to be very specific about this, okay? Because I I have had to pull back from taking every one-on-one that's requested. Um, But what I'm always available for is a DM of a very dialed-in question. I will answer it. Now, if you ask me how I became who I am today, no, I'm not going to write an article in the DMs for you. But if you have a question, anyone listening, that is specific and pointed, you may DM it to me and I will answer you. Um, and I don't say that obviously on all podcasts or anything I go on. It's specifically because, Laura, I know your audience is an audience that I want to lift up. So that I'm, I'm offering that with an open heart. Um, and the ask is, if you so choose, please do follow me on LinkedIn. It's my main um, social media platform where I'm every day kind of sharing my thoughts about whatever it is I'm thinking about. Um, and if you really want to double down, buy the book, Responsible Marketing, How to Create an Authentic and Inclusive Marketing Strategy. It comes out this coming July. Fantastic. Um, we'll be sure to put all your details in the show notes. Buy her book. Buy her book. I might be quoted in that book. So there's he a- is going to be quoted <laughs> in the book. <laughs> Um, shameless plug um, but Lola oh my gosh it's just been such a delight having you on the podcast which I knew it would be um, and she is right about the end because I DM'd her and she got back to me now if you she, tell me I, I, listen that's that, it's a war zone in there so I can't but it, the DMs that, that's that's where you're more likely to get a response <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so very much. And I'm so honored that you were part of 29 Days of Magic. Uh, and so keep listening to us. 
I have to say, thank you for doing this. Um, and thank you for your example and your vision um, and showing us that there's so much that is possible. Uh, I'm, I admire everything that you've done and are doing and, and can't wait to continue to be pals. Awesome. Likewise. Um, thank you so much. And that is our show.